Glad you're joining with us for worship as we're continuing in on our sermon series on chapter 11 of Hebrews, which is the story of a number of Old Testament heroes. And today we're looking at Abel from the Old Testament. Verse 4 of chapter 11 says, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, to which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for being able to gather this morning to sit around these screens, to be able to hear your word, to join with you in just hearing what you have for us this morning. And so, Father, I just pray that you would guide us and lead us as we explore this story from Genesis as Hebrews records it for us. And, Father, we pray that you would teach us this morning through your word. May your spirit move with power, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if you ever wonder if you're good enough, whether you're a good spouse or a good parent or a good child. Uh, my mom died about four months ago, and my sister and I were sitting around chatting one day, and we said, I wonder if she thought we were good children, uh, especially in her older age. She died at 98. She was uh, kind of almost bedridden at the end. And were we good children? And, you know, maybe you get that feeling. Uh, Father's Day, was I a good father? Mother's Day, was I a good mother? Uh, was I a good child? Am I a good child? Am I a good spouse? Am I a good employee? And maybe for this morning, am I a good follower of God? And I guess the answer to that question would come out of, well, how do I measure that? How do I know? And it probably would have something to do with faith. And as it happens, that's the chapter we're in. And last week we began talking about what is faith? What does it mean to, uh, for Hebrews to tell us that we have to have faith and to give us examples of that? And we began looking at the series of Old Testament heroes of the faith last week as introduction, but this morning is the story of Abel. And this verse that says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. And there's really two sections to that verse. The first one is, by faith, he brought a better offering. And the second part of the verse, by faith, he still speaks, even though he's dead. And so why don't we just look at one of them at a time? And let's look at the first one as we start. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offering. So just this story that Hebrews is alluding to. Uh, I'm not sure if you remember the story, but it comes really early in the Bible. The first book of the Bible is Genesis, the first two chapters of Genesis. God creates the world. Uh, the third chapter of Genesis is the story of Adam and Eve and how they sin. Uh, only takes two chapters into the Bible for everything to get messed up. And then the fourth chapter is the story of Cain and Abel, who were Adam and Eve's first two children. And it's the story of how they messed up their lives. And maybe it's the story of how Adam and Eve had messed up Cain and Abel's lives. How they messed up the next generation. But here's the story as we find it in Genesis chapter 4. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant, and she gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. 
And later she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Then Cain said to his brother Abel, Hey, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord came to Cain and said, Where is your brother Abel? And Cain replied, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Okay, another one of those uplifting stories from the Old Testament. You know, I mean, according to Genesis, there's only like four people on the earth at this time, and two of them are brothers who can't stand each other. And Cain and Abel in that story decide that they're going to go to church in our kind of frame of reckoning. They each bring their offering, and they give it to God. Abel puts his in the plate. The hallelujah chorus breaks out on a pipe organ. When Cain puts his in the plate, the buzzer goes off and there's, thanks for playing. And right then and there, Cain decides to become an only child. And it's interesting to kind of read that story closely to try and figure out exactly what's going on in that. Uh, Cain is a farmer. Abel is a shepherd. They both bring a sacrifice to God. They both bring what they have. Cain brings his vegetables that he grew. Abel brings the lamb that he raised. The smoke from Abel's fire goes up. The smoke from Cain's fire goes out. And the question comes, why? Why the difference between those two things? Why does God accept one and not the other? Why is one an example of faith and not the other? And, you know, if you uh, ever read a court transcript at the end when the judge is giving uh, his or her uh, sentence they give it and then they explain the basis of it they say because of this this and this I decided this this and this and it would really be nice in this passage if we actually had that but we don't all we got is what we read that's all we know about the story and out of that we got to figure out the basic facts and then we got to interpret what the facts mean. I want to suggest that you could probably come up with a whole bunch, but let's say three different reasons why Cain's sacrifice didn't go anywhere and Abel's sacrifice gets a mention in the New Testament. Uh, the first one is that it was the sacrifice itself. It was vegetables versus lamb. In the course of time, it said, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the first one, I was taught this in Sunday school at a young age. I thought this was the only answer back then. Uh, the answer was that Abel brought a lamb and Cain brought a veggie tray to the barbecue. And it was all about the fact that if you're going to have an offering, you have to spill blood. There has to be an animal involved. A lamb is about the perfect thing. So Abel had the right idea. 
Cain uh, didn't quite get the concept. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, if you remember that story, they, uh, they're tempted to eat this fruit they're not supposed to eat, and when they eat it, they feel guilty. And one of the things that feeling guilty is, is you feel naked. And they felt naked before God, so they clothed themselves. And it says in uh, Genesis 3, the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were opened, and they realized they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Yet yeah, a little bit later in the chapter, when God has confronted them and all the stuff has happened, it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. In other words, Adam and Eve hid behind vegetables, vegetation. They uh, grabbed what was closest, and they hid behind that. And God said somehow, no, that's not adequate. And he gives them these skins. Uh, maybe it's a nice sheepskin coat that he gives them. Uh, but whatever it is, it's the skin of an animal that is not wearing it anymore, which suggests that the animal is dead, which suggests that there has been bloodshed, which points kind of subtly maybe, but points ahead to the fact that sacrifice is going to be necessary to deal with sin in life. And the question comes, does that story connect here? Because here again, we have vegetation and we have animal. We have sacrifice of vegetables. We have sacrifice of an animal. Yeah, maybe. But, I mean, in the Bible, there were also grain offerings. You would bring grain as, a, as an offering. You would bring oil as an offering. You would bring wine as an offering. Um, which leads us to maybe there's a second choice. And the second one is, maybe it's not the what, it's the how good. It's the quality. It's the best versus the rest. Uh, so again, that passage. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. And when it's talking about Cain's offering, it just says he brought some of. It's, a, it's not the best of. It's not the best of the best. It's simply some. You know, it's like, hey, I got uh, two turnips, two rutabagas, and a cassava. Hey, that's perfect. Abel, it says, he brought the fat portions from some of the firstborn. Uh, Old Testament times, fat was the luxury. Fat was the thing. Cholesterol hadn't been invented yet. So fat was the best part. And the firstborn was the best of the animals. You don't know if you're going to have a secondborn. So you're giving away perhaps all you're going to get out of you know, that pair of animals that, uh, that bred. And so he brings the, the best of the best. Whereas Cain brought kind of whatever was at hand. Well, again, maybe. But if that was true, the question would be, why? Why did Abel bring the best and Cain the rest? And I think that leads us to this third option, which I think is the one we need to lean towards, is that it has to do with the attitude of the worshiper and not what they brought. It has to do with Cain and Abel, not with the vegetables and the lamb. It has to do with worship versus obligation. And what I would lean to is this idea that it's Cain's attitude that's, that's the difference. He brought an offering, I would suggest, out of obligation. 
Abel brought his offering out of worship. And because it was obligation, uh, Cain didn't care if it was the best or not. He had to bring something. And so he grabbed the veggie tray and he threw something on it and he brings it to God. And Abel, because it's out of worship, wants to bring his best. He wants to bring everything that he could give to God. And he wants to express his love for God through what he gave. And I think it has to do with this attitude of worship. And that raises the question behind that. Well, here you have two boys raised in the same family, not many years apart in age, we assume. Why the difference? Where does Abel's faith come from and Cain's faith not come from? And I want to suggest to us this morning that they not only inherited the sinful nature of their parents, they were impacted by the brokenness of their parents. And let's just start looking at that from, from Cain's point of view. And we're going to get to Abel because that's where we need to end up because that's what the Bible talks about in the New Testament. But I just think it starts with Cain, and I think it starts as far back as the naming of the two boys. Now, for us, naming isn't that important. We see someone's name, we don't think anything about it. My name is Dale. It means man of the valley, of the Dale. Uh, I live in Citadel, one of the highest neighborhoods in Canada, make, or in Calgary. It makes no sense, you know. But any of our Nigerian or Ghanaian friends, you know, they, their names have this deep meaning. It's why they're like 105 letters long, because it's a full sentence of their parents' faith in God and blessing over this child. But as we read in, in Genesis 4, it says, Adam made love to his wife Eve. She became pregnant, gave birth to Cain, and she said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. And that's a pretty good blessing. You know, I, this is, boy, this, is, this guy is special. He's going to grow up to be the man. And then we read the next thing about Abel. It says, Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Like five or six words. Nothing very special about it. Um, and in Hebrew, it's even worse. In her postpartum depression after birth, she names this guy Abel. And Abel means meaningless. It means uh, futility. It means nothingness. It's the word we find when we start reading the book of Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2, it says, Meaningless, meaningless, said the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And the word meaningless there is the word able. You know, you could translate that able, able, utterly able. Everything is able. So here's a guy, a couple that named their firstborn the man. And they named the second one, well, it's meaningless. You know, the spare. We got the air and we got the spare. And even in the naming, I think we start to see the brokenness of sin in the world and how it's going to affect the lives of the next generation. And Abel, it seems to me, is just overshadowed by his brother. And it's just interesting on birth order. So you've got an older brother and a younger brother. So you've got the eldest and the youngest. And birth order is an interesting kind of thing. The people who study this more closely say that the elder brother, the eldest child, is usually the stable, reliable one. They're the little mother or little father who gets a lot of added responsibility early in life. Then there comes the, the middle children. They're the accommodators. 
They're the ones who are the peacemakers between the oldest and the youngest, between the parent and the child. Uh, middle children are really good at that peacemaking accommodation role. And then the youngest child is, is the class clown. They're the, they're the one who's kind of the cute, the uh, whatever. You know, and I mean, it, if you watch the news on TV in an evening, usually the news anchor is the eldest child. The weather person, they're the youngest child. And then there's a special thing that when there's a gap between the, the eldest and then there's a gap of a number of years and then a child of another sex is born, so either a younger brother or a younger sister to two siblings that are the other sex, uh, they grow up to be the little princess or the little prince. They do nothing wrong. Everything goes their way. Uh, and you can read that many times in stories and see it in life. But anyway, whatever you do with that, I think there's some of that dynamic that's present. I think that there seems to be something in that dynamic in the story. Cain is the firstborn, and everything seems to point to the fact that he just believes that, that life belongs to him. He is the man, after all. Everything is due him. I mean, Abel is not a person. He's not a brother. He's just something to be used. There's a self-centeredness to Cain that comes out when God confronts him. And he just, well, who's my brother? Am I my brother's keeper? And in that attitude, Cain and Abel bring their sacrifices to God. Cain very proud, Abel very humble. Cain coming to offer his gift, but not to worship. He's bringing his offering with this proud spirit. He's outwardly in the presence of God, but inwardly he is far, far away. And he expects, or perhaps he even demands, that God is going to accept his offering and confirm him. And just as Abel dances to his tune, God should too. And when God doesn't, Cain is outraged. How can God not accept his offering? And he will go on and kill his brother out of anger because of that. And I wonder if we ever experience that. How can God do this to me? I mean, Cain doesn't look for reasons. He simply reacts. It's just, it's not fair. How can God do this to me? And from there, it's a short step to God isn't good to allow this, to a very short step to, well, maybe there is no God if God isn't good. And he doesn't exist, because if he did, then this wouldn't have happened to me. And Cain forgets about God. His anger gets transferred to Abel. And Jesus, I want to suggest to you, will retell this story in the New Testament in a parable that we would call the prodigal son. It's the story of a young son who is right with God, or at least gets right with God by the end of the story. But it's the story of an elder brother that, that just can't handle that. And uh, there's a lot of parallels, and you can spend the afternoon thinking about what there would be. But, but here's kind of a takeaway for free on this one. Hatred of God leads to hatred of our neighbor. And God comes and, and he warns Cain that this is going to happen. Don't harbor these thoughts. Don't yield to temptation. Don't walk in this way. And Cain doesn't listen. When I was growing up in, in Africa and Zambia, we had these little 45-sized records, if you remember back that far. And they were called the Jungle Doctor. 
stories. And I don't remember too many of them, but I remember this one. It's about a boy who finds a baby leopard. And he wants to keep it as a pet because it's like cat-sized. He just thinks it's so cute. And his dad says, no, no, you can't keep that because little leopards become big leopards. And big leopards kill. And the boy says, no, 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 it's so cute. I'll raise it. I'll tame it. I'll, I'll change it. It'll, it'll be great. And, and somehow the father, you know, for the purpose of the story at least, allows it to happen. And the child grows up and the leopard grows up. And then one day something happens and the leopard kills the child. And the dad just kind of says, I tried to warn him, but he didn't listen. Because little leopards become big leopards, and big leopards kill. Yeah, I know. When I was a kid, we didn't sugarcoat our children's stories. But, but the same is true of temptation. I just think that what starts out small snowballs until it's beyond our control. Talk to anybody that's got into serious trouble, and they will tell you, I never saw this coming. It was just a little step by little step. But little leopards become big leopards, and big leopards kill. And what started out with a problem with God resulted in a problem with people. But I think we can see it the other way around as well, that problems with people end up becoming problems with God. And the two are interconnected. Well, that's what we can learn from Cain. Well, part of it. We could spend so much time in this story. But uh, moving on. Uh, what lessons do we learn from Abel, which is what Hebrews was focusing on? Well, Abel brought the right gift because his heart was right with God. Abel brought this offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn, and the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. And I think the sequence of words there is important. God looked with favor on Abel and his offering. See, sometimes we'd look at the end of it as we did when we were looking at why did this happen, and we say, well, what was with the offering? No, no, the Bible says he looked with favor on Abel. And then his offering. And when Abel's heart was right, he brought the right gift to God. And then the second half of the verse, where we continue on in the story of Abel, it says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. And the question comes, well, what does it mean that Abel still speaks? Well, I'm talking about him today, and so in some ways his life is still speaking because we're looking at it. But I wonder if there's not a deeper meaning than that. I wonder if when God confronts Cain, he says, Abel's blood cries out from the ground. In, uh, in verse 10 it says, The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And Hebrews uh, picks that up a chapter later in chapter 12, where it says, You've come to God, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel is only mentioned one other time in the New Testament. That's when Jesus talks about the righteousness of Abel, uh, just in passing. And so to have him twice in two chapters is saying something. And Hebrews sees the story of Abel 
as pointing toward the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, which he did on the cross, and for the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And the sprinkled blood, that comes from the Old Testament, and it comes from the Day of Atonement, which is one day a year where we where the Old Testament people were reminded that they needed to be right with God. And on that day, the high priest and only the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, the only day he could go into that part. And in the Holy of Holies, all there was was the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, the top part of it between the cherubim on either side was called the mercy seat. And he would take blood from the sacrifice and he would sprinkle it. And Hebrews is picking that up. He's talked a lot about this in about the first eight or nine chapters of the book of Hebrews. And he's talking about the fact that Abel is that maybe second sign, but first clear sign of sacrifice and the importance of sin being overcome by the shedding of blood, not of Cain, not of Abel, but of Jesus. So what do we learn? I take away four things from this. First thing is, why is more important than what? We ask, why did God accept the sacrifice? What well, was the why Abel offered that sacrifice, that he had this relationship with God, that he was a righteous person that made his sacrifice acceptable. It wasn't the what of the sacrifice, it was the why he offered it. And all offerings to God have to come from this relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. Anything we want to do to say thank you to God, anything we want to do to make a difference in the world, has to come not as a way of us earning something, but as a way of us just saying thank you for something. Second thing I learned is that trouble starts small. Sorry, trouble with God leads to trouble with others. Third thing is trouble starts small. Trouble with God leads to trouble with others. Um, when our relationship with God starts to drift, our relationships with others encounters problems, which tells you that you can go the opposite way as kind of a test. If we're having trouble with people in our lives, it's maybe suggesting that we're having trouble with God because if we understood God's forgiveness of us, we would be more forgiving of people in our lives. Third one is this idea that little sins grow. Little leopards become big leopards and big leopards kill. But God's words to Cain are true for us as well. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And it's this idea of cutting things off at the beginning. But I think the greatest truth that's in this is number four, and it's this, that God's grace is still present in both of these characters. Obviously, God's grace is present in Abel. That we've looked at throughout this whole thing. But, but Cain kills his brother. And then Cain says, you know, the whole family is going to kill me for killing my brother. And the Lord said to him, in verses 15 and 16, anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. And Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. 
Well, we look at the, the obvious part of that. You know, he, he's living outside of the Lord's presence east of Eden. And if you understand geography in the, uh, in the world of Israel, um, if you go into Israel and you look west, you see the Mediterranean Sea. But if you look east, you see the desert. And to live east of Eden is to live in the wilderness. It's to live in the desert. It's to live in the dry place. It's to live in the place where life is hard. John Steinbeck's novel, East of Eden, his retelling, if you want, of the story of Genesis. Fascinating story, but... But Cain is going to live east of Eden. He's going to live outside of the presence of God in some way, um, by choice, not by curse. And God is going to remind him of that by putting his mark, and we don't know what the mark is. Was it physical? Was it something else? Um, but he puts his protective mark on Cain, and he continues to watch over him. And I want to suggest he does that for us as well. So kind of two thoughts as we close this morning. In what way are we like Abel? In what way is, are, are we living a life of righteousness? In what way is our heart right with God? Well, it's only right through the death of Jesus Christ, through uh, acknowledging our sin, accepting Jesus' offer of forgiveness as he's paid the penalty for our sin on the cross, that our righteousness comes not because we are good, but because God makes us right. And out of that, we bring God the best of our life. Uh, in what way are we like Cain? Because I think at the same time, we can be both of these characters. We, we sometimes see worship as obligation. We see giving God the leftovers. We see our sins beginning to grow. But like Cain, God has put his mark on us. It says he's put his image stamped on us so that we can always return and become like Abel. And we can live like Abel by faith in God who loved us and gave himself for us. We can be the prodigal son who comes back. We can be that, that elder brother in that story. Who at the end of that story, you don't know how it turns out. As we don't really know how it turns out with Cain, whether he ever really comes back to God or not. But here's the takeaway for this week. What could you do this week to live out this sermon? Well, I think the first thing is we can thank God that we don't have to be good. We start off asking that question, was I a good parent? Was I a good child? Was I a good spouse? Ah, good employee, good whatever. Um, am I a good Christian? No. But I don't have to be. Because of what God has done in Jesus Christ, that this sacrifice that Abel's offering pointed towards makes me good enough. And this week, I can rejoice in what God has done in my life. And maybe if you haven't accepted that offer of forgiveness, if you've been trying to be good enough, if you've been trying to earn God's favor, if you've been trying to bring the right offering, maybe this is the week to just relax, to just accept that offer of forgiveness. And then as we do that, the question comes, well, are we living that out? When Abel had this relationship with God, he brought his best. 
And the question comes, are we bringing our best to God? Are we worshiping God daily? Are we giving generously of our time and our talents and our treasures? And I, I just sometimes feel like some of us, and maybe me at times, and maybe you at times, we're Tupperware Christians. With all due respect to Tupperware. We have a bunch of Tupperware in our house. It's probably there's a bunch of it in our fridge. Do you know what's in it? Leftovers. And I think sometimes we, we bring our leftovers to God. We don't bring our best. And what does God say? He says, are you willing to give? Are you willing to give like the first 10% of our income? Are you willing to give God the best of our day? Are we willing to give best God the best 10% of our day? Whether it's the start of the day or the middle of the day or the end of the day. Do we give God the best of our day or what's left? Do we give God the best 10% of our energy? Or do we put that into work or that into hobbies or that into family? And then we give God what's left over. And the story of Abel is the story of a passionate person who brings their best to God. And I just wonder this week, how do we live that out? Are we the passionate person? And do we bring our best? Father God, this morning we are challenged by your word. We're challenged by the story of Abel and Cain. This contrast between someone who, out of obligation, did some religious stuff and someone who, out of passion, worshipped you with his whole heart. Father God, we pray that you would help us to be the people of passion, the people who bring our best, who bring it to you to be used, that your world can be changed. And as Abel's blood spoke, may our lives speak, not of who we are, but of who you are. And may you be glorified. By how we live this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.